Hello and welcome to the Green Pole Podcast. We are back again with another interview with another Fulham legend, a man that made 178 appearances, scoring 22 league goals in the process, and also captaincy captaincy the side in the Premier League. Lee Clark, how you doing, Lee? I'm good, Alan. Thank you. Delighted um, and honoured that you've welcomed us on, and uh, more than happy to you know talk about which was a, a time in my life and my career that was fantastic. My my time at Fulham. Uh, the honour's all ours, honestly. I've spoken to a few Fulham fans the last couple of days saying I'm speaking to you on Tuesday and they're ecstatic and they can't wait to listen to your time at Fulham and your thoughts. So, thank you. <laughs> um, the first question I always start off with is, how did the move to Fulham come about? Um, well, obviously, there was the scenario of what was going on at Sunderland, um, you know, and, um, you know, decided to move. Um I never ever thought I would move to a London club. Uh, you know, when I used to go down in the in play and we used to stay overnight in a hotel, I'd I like to go for a the walk in the morning. So obviously, when I used to walk around London, I used to think, "Wow, lad from the northeast, this place is a bit too big for me." London, <laughs> <laughs> um, but love playing the, the the matches and in a different stadium around there. But uh, obviously. Um, Paul Bracewell was the manager at the time and Paul had been a big mentor of mine, played alongside him in the in midfield at Newcastle when I was just coming through as a 18, 19-year-old and he was the senior professional who'd been there, seen it, done it, you know, won league titles at Everton and played for his country and was a top professional. Um, we got a strong relationship there and then when I went to Sunderland, he was actually Peter Reid's assistant before he then moved to Fulham. So there was a strong relationship there with, with, with Brace. So when he asked me and would I be interested in the club's agreed a fee, I went down to speak, met him. I met Neil Rodford, who was the chief executive at the time. And uh, I'd seen from afar what was going on in Fulham because obviously there was an excitement. There was a particular um, link with me, with Kevin Keegan being the previous manager and then leaving to take over for England. And I could see what, Kevin was starting to build and, and I'd been in that process with him at Newcastle so I knew what things were about and uh, when I went down to speak to the club I just realised this was a, a club with absolutely huge ambition but also, you know, rather than talk the talk they walked the walk and they'd done it in previous seasons and they weren't afraid to say that they wanted to take this club into the Premier League and probably a lot of people would ridicule that because at the time it was Little Lowell Fulham and what have you, um, but yeah, I uh, it was a, it was a quite simple decision after that initial meeting. So got got the contract agreed quickly and uh, got it signed. Because Paul Bracewell obviously was the manager when you came in. How easy was it for you to to move from the northeast down to London and bed in very quickly, knowing that Paul Bracewell is the manager? Did that make the move a bit easier and a bit more smoother for you and for was, the family, of course? It, it was easy in terms of at this once I decide to move and I'm clear in my mind. I set my stall out. You know, I was waiting for the family, but the first couple of months were really difficult for me in terms of I, I wasn't showing, I wasn't playing particularly well. I always remember we played in the League Cup tie down at uh, Carrow Road against Norwich, and this was probably the game that changed it for me. I played in a in a role that hadn't been particularly used of. Played right midfield in a four. But I, uh, I had a real good game and I assisted with a couple of goals. And I think that was the game that probably 
turned things around. Even though my debut against Birmingham, you know, wasn't was was decent debut. I just felt that I wasn't hitting the heights that I personally expected myself, and possibly what a lot of fans were expecting because I was the record sign at the time. But that game at Norwich, a couple of months in. But when I look back on it now, you know, you think it's like you've just said. I was a first time away from the northeast. I was actually away from my family while I was trying to source a, a home for us. You had two young children at the time, so without using that as an excuse, you just you don't really think about that. But at the time now, when I look back, those things could have really you know added to that. But thankfully, you know, I think the fans seen even though at the start that I. It, my my quality of my performances wasn't high. I had a great work ethic and a great attitude. So I think that bought us a bit of time. And then when I eventually start hitting the ground running in terms of my performances, you know, we we, we there was a start of a fantastic relationship with with the supporters. Yeah, and again, you you're always spoken about in high regards whenever someone mentions, especially that Division One winning team. Uh, I vaguely remember. I think it was you scored a brace at home to QPR that season, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was a phenomenal but season. It always it always helps when you score against your local back. It sure does, and you <laughs> seem to remember it more than most. The fans um, it, so yeah, yeah, and the goal at Old Trafford. But we'll get into that um, later on. Um, but moving on to that Division One winning team under Tigana, how did he change things? Because I know he. He did change a fair few things, didn't he, when he came through the door? Um, what was the transition for you like as a as a player? Well, the main thing for me was he had a big core of British players. And initially, when you're thinking a foreign manager coming in, you think, is he going to go down the foreign route in his recruitment and get in, you know, push all those British guys to the to the side? But what he, you know, he didn't. He'd, he. Uh, he loved the British mentality in terms of the play and the never-say-die attitude of the British lads and, um, you know, and the work ethic. And what he done is he said he stole out and he got us ridiculously fit. I, I've said it many times. That I thought I was a fit. I, I thought fitness was a, a big um, plus point of my, you know, what my good part of my game was. I thought my endurance was good, but this guy just took it to another level and he'd done it with us, with us all. And he gave us discipline, you know, the six o'clock in the morning training sessions, the 10 o'clock, the three o'clock, how we recovered. um, It was all down to that. The training was all technical work, improving us technically as well, as as well as tactically. And then give us ridiculous amount of freedom on a match day. You know, he felt his work had been done Monday to Friday. Um, And on a match day, it it was down to us. He didn't see a lot before the game. He had... He made his words at half time short, but really important and really to the point. And uh, he created a, a, an environment where he got us ridiculously fit in the way we played football. You know, moving the ball around quickly with high intensity, we could do it, and we could do it all till the ninety fifth, ninety sixth minute. I mean, there's lots of games come to mind that. I think we had a game against Barnsley at home where we were nil-nil till about the 75th, 76th minute. We ended up winning 5 nil because, we, one, we believed in what we were doing and we enjoyed it because every footballer who likes to enjoy being on the ball would love the way that the manager wanted us to just pass and move and express ourselves and play without fear, but also because <clears throat> we knew we were super fit 
And if it took till the 90th minute to win the game, we, we could still continue. And a big thing in that for me was a real, real big signing was John Collins because John had worked at Monaco with him. And John was like uh, an extension of the manager into the dressing room and, you know, told us, you know, believe in this, get yourself in ridiculous condition and you'll love, you'll love the playing style. You'll be able to do this, you'll be able to do that. And, uh, you know, we, we, we took the lead from John really. And um, now we had a, we had, we had, we had terrific uh, balance in the team. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a fantastic time to be involved uh, very rarely got a day off whenever there was international breaks he took with the France <laughs> and friendlies or whatever. But it was, you know, we, we, we quickly bought into it. And, um, you know, they say recruitment and results are huge. His recruitment, I mean, it was inspired for him to get Louis Sahar for the price he did, 2.1 million, I think. And I knew a little bit about Louis because he came to Newcastle as a real young guy, you know, after my time. But obviously I still kept in touch with what was going on at the club. He played under Ruud Hullet and um, he was probably a little bit too young at that time. But when we when we got him, we, we found out we had a, a phenomenal uh, striker on our hands, and the way we played, um, it was uh, it was it was it was just it was just a privilege to be a part of it, and uh, you know, great a great group of lads. Yeah, that Division One winning season, I think we brought in Saha, was it Bermorte, uh, John Collins, and a few others. And you seem to win the league, not at a canter, but I think you only lost four games that season. Um, was that was that probably one of your favourite seasons playing as a player or have you got a fair amount that you can look one back of, on? One of my favourite seasons of my whole career, to be honest. Um, as you say, we had a... The, the signings he made made a huge impact. Lewis Bourne-Mortier was so popular in the dressing room. He was a top player as well. It gave us... Uh, it gave us the opportunity to have ridiculous amounts of pace at the top end of the field. We played with a diamond in midfield as well, so we had great balance. Sean was coming through, was was the youngster of the team, but was an outstanding young player. He played at the bottom, we had John on the left, uh, myself at the top of the diamond and Bjarni Goldbeck on the right. Mm. Uh, and then we, we seemed to contribute really well and he, you know, Barry Hales had gone to a new level in terms of his performance level. He, he'd become just a bit more than a battering ram. No, no, no disrespect to Barry, but that's what he had been at the start. <laughs> yeah. Managers played him, but he gone. I've seen something else, and he, he brought that out. Obviously, Steve Finnan was always destined for the top. Andy, Andy got better and better. Andy Melville, I knew Andy in any way. He was a top player from Sunderland. Chris was just a fantastic footballer and centre-half and anyway left-footed. And then Rufus as well. Rufus was one of those unsung heroes of the group. Uh, and he, I think, if you ask him, he went to a new level as well. And obviously Mike in goal, which Mike was a was a top keeper. So, And the, and the other lads I haven't mentioned that were in and around the team that would come in and, and it never weakened us and allowed us to continue getting good results. Yeah, so you've mentioned a few talented players there and the likes of Finn and Goldbeck, Brevet. That again, that Division One team, which was exceptional from a fan's point of view. Um, and then when we did go into the Premier League, you know, we signed I think our first season we signed Malbronk, um, Marley and a few other the, the French contingency. Is there any particular players that stands out in your mind that you enjoyed playing with more than, than others because they sort of made your life a little bit easier or 
you know, is there a few sort of players that stick out in your mind and go, yeah, he was special? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, yeah, I've already mentioned the impact that we had with with us, Louis Saha, and uh, for a, you know an attacking midfield player, uh, he made it quite easy for us. I remember putting one cross in it. I think our televised game at home to Portsmouth, and there was only probably Louis could have got it. The, the, his leap was unbelievable and headed it into the opposite corner. So um, yeah, that that was that was fantastic. Um, and, and, and I know bit Lewis was Bournemouth. He was always a popular player for me. You know, had a great work work ethic. Hated losing. Terrific speed. Great finishing. It, Steve Malbronk was an unbelievably talented footballer. Technically, it's terrific. But then the other lads who, you know. You know, enjoyed playing alongside Martin Jetu at his times in midfield. Sylvain Leginski was a was a was a good uh, ally of mine in in, in midfield also. Um, so yeah, all the lads. Um, you know, Edwin came in and for being a world class goalkeeper, I was such a humble guy and became a, a great teammate. Uh, Alan Goma, you know, the only really disappointing one for me was. Um, was was Steve Marley? He came in mm. and he seemed to have a little bit of a, you know, I'm the record sign and I'm better than everyone else mentality and didn't really buy into what we were about. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't surprised that it it didn't particularly go great for him. Um, you know, I, I just felt his mentality in terms of what he'd come into. He looked, he seemed a little bit like. Should I really be playing with this group of players? Seemed a little bit aloof. Um, and I was never picked particularly endeared or didn't really potentially rate what he'd done. So it wasn't a, <laughs> it wasn't a problem for me, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, again, from a fan's point of view, I don't think Marley reached the heights that we sort of expected him to, especially with the transfer fee that we paid. Well, I think it was about 11 million at the time or something yeah. around that. And you could tell it just wasn't, just something wasn't he, quite right. He came with the wrong mentality, he came with. Uh, it was in which none of us had. It was, it, it, and hey, and listen, and everyone's to their own, but it was about a new car, which car he was going to come in one day, is it a Ferrari, is it a Lambo, is it a Porsche? It was, that seemed to be more important than what he was delivering on the pitch. So I didn't particularly have a strong relationship to him. So with him, uh, I just felt that he was. The, the 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 one difference in the group that we didn't have the rest of the lads were, were absolutely terrific you know we we, we got on great and um, so yeah there was there was always that and I felt like his his performances didn't deliver where he thought he was in terms of his his profile hmm. so in terms of the players that you did play with in terms of a, a night out for example who would be the the go to players that you sort of go right let's go and hit the town tonight. Is there, a, is there a handful of plays that you can sort of tell a few oh, stories yeah. about? Yeah. <laughs> Self Sean, uh, Barry Hills, uh, uh, Kit Simons, um, Andy Melville, Chris Coleman. You know, uh, we, we occasionally uh, um, get Bjorni to come out and, and, and Rufus. Uh, so, but that was the, the, the mainstay of the group, Mark Crosley. Um, so yeah, we, we frequently had some uh, social nights, but we d- we did enjoy each other's company. You know, with Christmas and that, we used to have, we had a great couple of days away in Dublin. It was a, a great group of lads all together, and all twenty odd of us we had we had great relationship like that. And we understood some players 
wanted to socialise in different ways, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, so we 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 understood, but uh, now it was we worked hard for each other. We, as I said, we had a great togetherness, and you know, when I look back on the, the teams that I played in that were successful, that's one of the massive ingredients you need. When uh, Tigana did did leave, Coleman came in as temporary manager, wasn't he? He was a caretaking manager at the time. Um, I think his first game was actually, was it at home to Newcastle? I think, was it Legwinski scores? I think I, I don't know if that's correct, but I, I know he took over and we eventually stayed up. Do you think the Tigana sacking was a bit premature or do you think it was sort of coming to the end of his time and it was time for a change? Well, we'd sensed the. A break of the of the relationship between the owner and the manager. We'd sense that, you know, we'd sense that at the start of that season when when the when um, Mohamed Al Fayed brought Franco Baresi in as director of football, the manager felt a little bit undermined by that. Um, so yeah, I mean, gutted because he'd done so much for us all. We were starting to slip with a few results from the turn of the year, and we're going towards not towards the bottom. But uh, we, um, you know, so it wasn't a surprise, but we were gutted because I really, really loved working with Ticon and his staff. And then, as you say, Chris came in and we had Newcastle. And, uh, you know, it, uh, we had, I think we had about five games left of that season or six and uh, we beat Newcastle. I, I scored me scoring the winner. So I always tell Chris I was the man. Got him the <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, it was. Um, I think we ended up winning three out of the five games. I think we lost one, we drew one, and won three, something along those lines. But uh, fully deserved to, to get the job permanently after that. That he got very respected by the players. Um, got to say, because we were very close when I first came down, he uh, so we um. So I didn't think he would ever want to get into the management game, but when mm-hmm. he did, took to it brilliantly, and uh, he was uh, a real, real, um, you know, good manager. We enjoyed working for him. I was his captain, and uh, you know, he 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 done extremely well. Yeah, because he he made you captain when he came in, didn't he? Um, and obviously playing alongside him in that Division One team, and then playing sort of under him in the Premier League. How do you think he took to management? Because the respect for the players was obviously there. I think we could sense that. But did he did he change too much from a player to a manager, or did he just? Oh no, no, he, he took it in his stride. He was he was magnificent at it. How I was I was gobsmacked really, and that's not being disrespectful to Chris because he never made any real strong point about him going into coaching or management. I mean, he probably still thought he had a long time left in his playing career, which he did. Mm. But obviously the the car accident and the, 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 then the injuries coming from that obviously curtailed a, a tremendous playing career. So, um, you know, and then he had to think. And then when he came in, how he went about delivering. And he's always a leader. He was a tremendous captain. He was an always a leader. But, you know, sometimes the captains and the leaders, you don't see them always wanting to be, um, you know, ones to, to then become the, the, the boss of everything. But he was... Uh, Night and terrific, and he got a real. He continued the togetherness that we'd had, and he put his own stamp on how we'd done things. And uh, 
no, we, we we were all fighting for him. We had a we had a strong relationship, and as I said, always think about that season when we finished ninth, I think. But if you remember, I think we're about third or fourth in the January transfer window. We saw Louis Saha on the final day of the window and didn't, you know, obviously brought Brian McBride in before, just a couple of days before that. But Brian was a completely different player. You mean, you could have seen Brian and Louis combining and playing together. But, you know, to lose a, a player of his, of his ilk and not being able to get someone is a, you know, a like-for-like like replacement hit us a bit hard and, Who's, who's who's to say where we could have finished if we could have kept them for the remainder of the season? Yeah, it's a, a fault which most Fulham fans have. If we'd have seen Saha and McBride play together, um, they would have scored many goals and we probably would have gone on to, to finish higher than ninth that season. Um, but I suppose what I want to talk about is that game at Old Trafford when we won. It was 3-1. Yourself got on a score sheet in a motor in Marbronk. What, what's your memories of that day? Um, is that one that sort of sticks out for you? Absolutely, and the main overriding memory of that day is it wasn't a fluke. It mm. wasn't a result. It wasn't as if we camped in our own half and hit them on the break. We were we played some tremendous football. If you remember, we were coming off the back of a huge disappointment. We were 2-0 up against Newcastle in the midweek and lost 3-2 uh, to a Sheeran-inspired Newcastle second-half performance, and that had hit us hard. But then you, And then you think, wow, we've got we've got to go to Old Trafford and try and pick us up, but we did. Obviously, took the early lead with myself, but played some great stuff, played some great football. And then even when Man United got back in the game, we continued to play well. Um, and it was a real top, top performance. I mean, you know, going to Old Trafford um, at any time is not easy, but during that era when they were, you know, one of the top teams, if not the top team, and, and, and getting a thoroughly deserved result like that. And, you know, we could have scored more on the day as well. We played hmm. some great football. And we defended well. You know, we knew we were going to be there was going to be spells of pressure with the players that they have. And uh, but we defended well. And when he was called upon, Edwin was was probably different class. I mean, they were probably the they was type of games on the bonds that probably Sir Alex Ferguson looks at Louis Saha and Edwin and thinks, yeah, they're they're Man United players. So um, now was uh, the, that that game alone was live long in the memory will be one of the most important games of my career and, and, and enjoyable games. And it was actually Diego Forlan that scored an equaliser just before half-time. Um, he comes back to haunt us about six years after in the Europa League final. But I suppose that game overall, it's still one that's spoken about even to this day because you don't win at Old Trafford every season. Um, and no, you have to take results like that and make sure that important parts of your history. And, uh, and as I say, it wasn't... You know, you, you see some teams and they get results and they get it because they've, they've sat back and they've maybe got a break away or, or they've won by a set play. It was nothing like that. Our performance was uh, really exciting, played on the front foot and took the game to Manchester United. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a thoroughly deserved result. So, towards the end of your time at Fulham, did you know that the time was sort of coming to an end or how was how did you feel about when you eventually um, left, well, you know the story. You, you get to know, you, you get to think, you know, and you know, come to the end of my contract, and there hadn't been a lot of discussions, um, and uh, you know, um, we, so you get, you, you, it's starting to run down, and you're thinking, well, maybe I've got to start looking at my own future, um, 
and uh, obviously we got to the last game when we beat Norwich 5-0 was it 5-0 at the Cottage? 6-0 six, six I think wasn't it? Six, when Diop scored that free kick 6-0 at the Cottage and uh, we sent them down and uh, I went in to see the manager after the game with the staff and you know tell them I hadn't I wasn't too happy with the way it had been dealt with I could have understood that there was a you know, manager has the choices to make and decisions to make. He was still adamant that the decision hadn't been made, but we, you know, this was the last game of the season. Um, so uh, I waited, and then on the day of um, on on the day of the uh, cup final, FA Cup final, remember it well. I was sitting at home in London and um, got the call from the chief executive to 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 explain. Um, that they weren't offering me a new deal, and asked if I could go in and see him um, before the game. So I went down to the to the ground, met him. Manager wasn't there, which I was disappointed with. Um, and uh, they says that they weren't renewing my contract due to the club going in a different direction. You have to respect that, and as I said, it's the managers. But I just felt after what I'd done for the club and the service I'd give them, and you know my relationship with the club, the people. The fans, you know, deserved it something a little bit better um, in terms of the the way that bit was handled. And is it a surprise for you now? Obviously, playing alongside the likes of Bo Morte, um, he's now Marco Silva's right hand man. Um, do you still keep in touch with with Bo Morte to see how he's doing at Fulham? But you know, are you surprised to see him going into sort of the coaching role? No, I'm not. I'm not surprised he went into that. He's always a. a uh, Studied on the game, you know, he was a tutor of the game. He wanted to uh, learn about it. And, uh, yeah, I, he's an infectious character. And so with his knowledge of the game, plus that infectious, that lovely big smile of his, that he made <laughs> fantastic. No, and I'm, I'm not surprised. I keep in touch with him very regular, to be honest with you. Uh, but all things football, but obviously we talk about what it, how it's going at Fulham. And delighted that he's being part of the group that are not only got promoted, that are more than holding their own in the Premier League and putting in some real good performances, even when sometimes the results aren't going their way. So, delighted for Boa. He's a, he's a great character. He's a great Fulham character. And, uh, you know, hopefully him and Marco can continue, you know, pushing the club on and, you know, make it a... Uh, you know, a club that stays in the Premier League for for long periods, and they can just get that stability, and they can improve year on year. I think it's it's time now that we do find that stability, um, because it has been sort of up down up down. Um, so as a Fulham fan, um, it'd be nice to just to spend a few seasons in the Premier League without having to worry about going up and down. Um, but your boyhood club, Newcastle, um, you've been a Newcastle fan, are doing very well. Um, what's your thoughts on what they can achieve this season? At the start, you know, we're seeing if they can get them into the top 10 and possibly push it for the top eight to get a Europa League position. That would be a terrific season. But uh, the team and the management have just, you know, blown expectations out of the water. The the performance level since the start of the season is magnificent. I mean, you witnessed that probably a couple of weeks ago with, with the result at the Cottage. They've got a lot of speed in the top end of the pitch. They play with a high intensity. They press their opponents high up the pitch. 
and they do that with every team. They're not changing their tactics. You know, we had a we had a long period of time where we'd go up against the so-called big four or big six, and we'd play with a lower block and we'd play very defensive, and would still get beat two or three, and the goalkeeper would still be the man of the match. But this manager's got to, you know, respect everyone but fear nobody mentality, and the. Um, He's got the team playing brilliant. The signings he's made have all been a massive impact, which is astonishing, really, to think that every single signing you make is going to work out and every single one's made a con- contribution in a different way. But it's the togetherness of the club now. It's the relationship from the new ownership group to the manager and his players and to the supporters. You know, I'm going there as a fan now, so I go into the city centre early before the game and the the mood between the supporters is fantastic. Everyone's looking forward to the game. There's laughing and joking. There's high spirits. They get to the stadium. There's a group of fans called War Flags, which basically means war, means our. <laughs> That's a bit of Jordan. <laughs> Produced flags of, you know, modern day players, modern day badges, uh, old players, legends of the club. And the atmosphere that creates is just phenomenal before the game. And, that togetherness between everyone has just pushed the club forward. And But if he had asked us at the start of the season, going into Christmas Day, would we be third in the Premier League? I don't think anyone would have took that serious, but the team deserves to be there. They've played magnificent. Yeah, and they have a fantastic manager in Eddie Howe and one that I hope will manage England one day because I think he's got everything in in his characteristics to be a future England manager. <laughs> bought into the club very quickly. He's bought into the history of the club. He's bought into the, the demands and the expectation of the fans, how big the club is. I think, you know, he just loves being here. He's he's got the opportunity and he's in his the way he started. He's got the he's got that opportunity to be the first manager since nineteen sixty nine to win a win a major honour. And I think this him and his staff and this group of players have that opportunity in if it's not this season, certainly in the next few years, because of what he's building, the culture he's building, um, you know, the team never gets weakened. The 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 strength, the bench is really strong for the group. So yeah, it's uh, it, it it's really positive times after what's been a tough fourteen years under the previous ownership. And being a hardcore Newcastle fan and Newcastle, you know, Newcastle boy, moving to Sunderland at such an early sort of point in your career, how did your friends and family take it and was it a tough decision for you to make personally? Um, when I look back on it, it, I didn't consider it like that. Obviously, the implications of ever coming up against each other, which thankfully that was never the case and that was probably one of the reasons I wanted to leave. Once we got promoted to the Premier League with Sunderland, the, the, the reality dawned on us that I might have to play against Newcastle United for Sunderland. It was never a problem for Fulham. And I played for full because it was a different, you know, situation. Uh, so, you know, to play for the, the club, Newcastle's biggest rivals against them would have felt strange in, in many, many ways for us. So something I didn't re- really feel was right. But no, the, the opportunity, Paul Bracewell was there, as, as I said. So he was a big link. But when I went and met Peter Reid, I spoke with five or six cl- different clubs at the time. Once I decided I was leaving the castle, I met Peter Reid and just hit it off with him instantly. Had a, and, and I'm glad I did because I, the two years I had there as a player were, were fabulous. We had great success. Just moved into the new stadium at the time, the Stadium of Light. 
and uh, I was playing for a manager I loved playing for with a great group of lads and uh, I used to go back and watch Newcastle whenever I could I lived in Newcastle um, and that was possibly a, a, you know like I said at the start I was a northeast lad never seen, seen myself from moving away so that was probably one of the reasons I stayed also I had my oldest son he was just a, a young boy then and you know wanted him to be in around the, fa- the family but still, it still took out something for them to convince us to go. And it was the meeting with Peter Reid. He, he convinced us to go. And I, what he said to me he, he, he was true. You know, I had a great time playing for him. I had great respect. I still keep in touch with him now. He's played a huge part in my career, even though it was just for a short period of time, two years. And uh, But, yeah, I, there was friendly banter. It never got out of hand um, when I went back to Newcastle. Um, the new was a professional decision, and uh, so yeah, it was um, get a bit of stick for it now. It was, <laughs> yeah, it, it would never change what I thought of Newcastle and being a fan for them. Mm. So your playing career, you know, you, you did have a very good, a very good career. You know, you won Division One numerous times. You you've done a lot in your career. If you could pick out one moment which you sort of sit back on now and go. Yeah, that's probably the pinpoint of my career. Which which moment would it be for you, making your debut for Newcastle? Or well, I get that a lot, and it's it's really difficult because, as I said, the two you know obviously all the Newcastle stuff is amazing, and then the two years I had at Sutherland were, were, were fantastic on a personal level and for the group. And then I always consider my six seasons at Fulham, the seven years I lived there is a, is a real special time in my career, and for my family, we loved it. But you can never beat that feeling of of living the dream, and that's playing for your hometown club. And when I was seventeen, and I got given that opportunity at Ashton Gate, Bristol City away, and then at St James's Park in my full debut against West Bromwich Albion, that that that's just unbelievable. It's just special, you know. Um, and then and then you get the chance to um, be managed by someone you. Adored on the terraces when I was there in 1982, and Kevin Keegan came to play for us and took us to a new level as a club, and we became one of the most high-profile clubs uh, of that era. Then because of him, and then he comes back to be your manager and takes you through an era which our fans still hold in such high regard. The, the famous entertainers era when we were pushing to win titles on a regular basis. We got the club into Europe on every season, so. Yeah, that 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 period will always stand out just because of being a Newcastle lad and Newcastle fan, and I, I call it living the dream basically. But the other parts of my career were ridiculously uh, fantastic as well. I, you know, not many players, especially in the era I was playing, play for just three clubs. You know, there's usually movement around, so that tells you. When you think I only had two years at Sunderland, my my, my my major part of my career was just with two clubs, really. So, um, yeah, it was a great, great, great time of my life. Fantastic. Now, in 2008, you hung up your boots and you went into management. I think Birmingham was your first sort of managerial job. How have you sort of taken into management? How do you look back on the jobs you've had sort of over the last sort of 10, 13, 14 years? Um, have well, you enjoyed it? My first job, Huddersfield. Um, Huddersfield, yeah. Yeah, was 
a great inspiration for me. I was had a blank canvas. I was the new owner's first appointment. He wanted the the club was, you know, run of the mill League One club, always finishing mid table, never really threatening um, to get promoted to the then championship. Um, was taught about a famed youth policy, but that was probably because the, the team wasn't doing particularly well, and just decided that we wanted to build a football club and, and and hopefully be successful along along those lines. And we did. We 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 went with a group of young players. Whether we brought those players in or they were developed from the academy, and we wanted to be successful. And um, our first full season, we got to the playoff semi final and got beat by a very experienced Millwall team, who eventually went up. Uh, second season, got to the playoff final. Unfortunately, lost to Peterborough. And then my third season, uh, we were third top in late February with two games in hand, which would have took us to first if we had a won. But fortunately, the chairman decided that was that time was up, and uh, we just embarked on a football league record, which is still a record to this day: forty-three games unbeaten. And um, so that, and we end up having players who. We brought in for uh, fees that were low and uh, sold them for substantial amounts of profit. And and that group of players that I left in the February with the next manager went on to get promoted, so they got to the championship. And we uh, obviously the infrastructure, the club behind the scenes. We purchased the land to to build the the, the great training ground they've got there now and start the process of that because we used to just train at a at a the university and get changed in Porter Cavins at the time when I was there to start with and just change the mentality of the of the uh, uh, the, the, the players the staff the club as a whole and uh, so yeah it was really really, really important and feel proud uh, just missed out on that, that promotion but I felt in that third season the progress had been good and we're ready to do it obviously had a bit of time out and then took over at Birmingham in July July the 1st and was told that the club was ready to go the next step from the playoffs or automatic promotion to get in the Premier League. This was my big opportunity to take the club from the Championship and to uh, go and manage in the Premier League. Um, but within two weeks, there was in, uh, complications with Marona. He got put under house arrest. He was uh, trialled for money laundering. So his his assets were frozen. So the club became a a financial nightmare we ended up I went from a you know having a certain budget in a in a, in a transfer transfer war chest to play with that this went and I had to cut the wage bill and obviously couldn't sign any players we got put under transfer embargoes and etc etc so I went from th- a 26 million pound wage bill being told I had three transfer windows to get it down to six or we were going to go we could have went under so had to sell the the talented young players I had for much quicker than I wanted to and for less money than I, I should have. You know, Nathan Redmond and Jack Butland went to Norwich and Stoke respectively, but far sooner than I wanted and, and certainly for far less than they the, the were really worth. Um, we, came, we, came a, we came a poaching ground for uh, the big boys because they knew we were desperate for money. And... Um, Finished my first season mid-table, but then the next season and a half, obviously the famous second season when we stayed up, um, stayed up in the final game of the season at Bolton. My famous run down the touchline. 
Fulham fans thought, God, if he was that quick, when I wish he was that quick when he played for us. And <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and obviously lost my job the following season, halfway through, um, and just made a real bad decision in taking the Blackpool job. Really, they were bottom of the table, four points from fourteen games. Didn't realise how far deep the disharmony was inside the club. Um, thought that if I could keep them up, that would be like winning a cup on my CV. But quickly realised there was no chance this wasn't going to be possible because, you know, the players' mentality was against that. The, you know, there were last-minute signings. There was no cohesion. The training facilities were really, really poor. The standard of the match pitch was disgusting. We used to get reported by the opponents every game to <laughs> equal standard of the pitch. Um, and inevitably got, got relegated. And uh, within two days, I quit the job, you know. Um, I could have quit. Looking back, I could have quit six, eight weeks into it. Um, you know, but once you take the job, you feel that it's your duty to... And I'd also give a couple of young players a chance and told their families that I would look after them and you, you feel like they're doing them a disservice. So, yeah, that one didn't... And as I said to you at the start, because of the the disharmony between there was no connection there was quite a lot of anger actually and frustration from the fans to the ownership group at the time I uh, had a bit of a spell out and then went up to Scotland and had a great time there we built my reputation took Kilmarnock from bottom of the table into the top six in the Scottish Premier League got headhunted by Berry and then should have really stayed in Scotland because I was building something big but I was desperate to get this opportunity in England again to see build up my reputation again and get this Premier League opportunity. Went into Berry, they were bottom of the table, kept them up that season uh, in February with about 10, 12 games to go. But then, uh, you know, early into the next season, after we brought a lot of player, new players in, wasn't working out and uh, moved on. And then 18 months later, they went into financial meltdown and um, you know obviously the, the the most horrendous thing that could happen they the, 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 the went out of business and uh, went out of the football league and then just took a break out of it and then I've had a couple of opportunities abroad which I always wanted to pursue worked in the African Champions League which was terrific um, great experience but completely different than what I've been used to um, completely, the administration side was completely different, but uh, yeah, good, good bits of experience, and um, and then now I'm just back. I'm uh, just taking time out to two loves of my life in terms of football, watching Newcastle United as a fan again, and loving every minute of it. But also uh, going to watch my boy who's uh, made his debut for Liverpool in the last few weeks and months, both in the. Premier League and Carabao Cup and at 17 to be making a debut for a powerhouse like Liverpool Football Club is an amazing feat so spend a lot of time doing those two things So when is Bobby going to come down to the cottage? <laughs> well, <laughs> the first game of the season um, that was his first time we got in England that he was part of Jürgen's thoughts he got drafted into the travelling squad but became an, it wasn't it wasn't a strict uh, or used substitute but warmed up with the team that day and that was the first time you really thought wow there's a path the, the manager's creating a path for him here most like what he sees because he went on tour to Asia with them and uh, I think he, 
he was on the bench the next four or five games, making his debut in the 9-0 victory against Bournemouth. A couple more Premier League appearance, uh, substitute positions and then started the Carabao Cup win um, against Derby County the other night and uh, done extremely well. So, yeah, um, if Fulham would like to take him on loan to help development, that would be it. True for me, and would help everyone. I think <laughs> you need to get on the phone to Boa and say, "Listen, Boa, you need to take my boy." <laughs> um, but what we do in the interviews is we have this quick fire question round. Um, it's never usually quick fire; it just sounds good. Um, so I have five questions to ask. Um, again, answer them as honest or as dishonest as you want. Um, question one: I think we all know this. I think you've answered it. Who did you support growing up? Um, yeah, Newcastle. Newcastle. Um, question two, who was your sporting hero growing up? Kevin Keegan. Yes, yeah, I spoke to Neil Smith last week with Pesky Salido and that was uh, his sporting hero as well. So that's two we've got now. Um, question three, if you could invite three people from all walks of life, dead or alive, to dinner, who would you choose and why? Um, wow. Uh Peter Kay. Okay. Just I like I like humor. I just want to be laughing all the time. <laughs> uh, um, Al Pacino. Okay. And uh, uh, Sir Bobby Robson. Oh, what a legend. Um, question four your favourite holiday destination Malbia Malbia okay yeah. uh, and question five if you could have one superpower what would it be um, ooh superpower well I was never renowned for being quick was I so I would love to be in a run quick is that some lots of people and I used to wind me kids up about it. If I had when I used to watch these players I had super pace on the pitch, I used to say if I had his pace I would have been unbuyable. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think it takes certain individuals that if you don't have that yard of pace, you have that extra bit of quality with the ball at your feet. Um and you certainly had that in abundance. Well I had that. Uh, Quick mind because obviously my life to play in the era and the level I played at in the Premier League when you're up against top class players week in week out, you know if you if you if you're slow in your in your legs in terms of your speed and you're slow in your mind, you're not going to get very far. That's for sure. <laughs> now, uh, one last question I'll ask you before we go is: obviously, you keep in touch with Boa, um, and you've seen what Fulham are doing this season. Currently sitting ninth for the World Cup break. What do you ex- well? What do you hope for us to to do this season, and ultimately, can we stay up? One, yeah, I think it definitely can stay up, um, and I'm hoping it can. And two is um, like we talked about is just to stabilise the club, get some stability. You know, this yo-yo and over the last few years has been a bit of a nightmare. I think um, the recruitment process of Marco this summer has been much different in previous years and you can see that in the performance of the team like I said even in defeat 
I watched the Arsenal game and I watched the Man U game at the weekend. And then, you know, when I look back on those performances, I think the team done extremely well in both games and were unfortunate not to get results. So even when they're not getting results, they're playing to a good level of performance. And uh, they've been able to bounce back when they've had a disappointing result. They haven't gone on a run of, you know, defeat, defeat, defeat. And, um, you know, that's credit to the manager and his staff. I like the group of players that he's got together. And I think, yeah, I, I don't think where they are is, is a fluke. I think they can they can build on that. You know, it's all dependent. I mean, this is unprecedented what's happening at the moment with the World Cup and the break. And when I've asked a lot of managers who are working in the Premier League and, you know, ask how they do it or I listen to what they're saying, it's completely different. And some teams didn't want it to happen because they have momentum. Other teams might want it to get a bit of break and rest the players for a little bit and then get some extra training into them in terms of, you know, tactical work. So, but I think, uh, and I hope that I'm right, that this looks a completely different Fulham mentality and, and squad that can do that first season back, which is always a hard one. And then when the, when the players who you go to try and recruit again in the summer, they say you've been in the, the Premier League and you've stabilised the club and you've got stability, you can attract that next group of good players. I mean, obviously, Fulham can always attract good players because of the location of the club and, you know, the, the, the feedback the players will get because of the, the warmness of the fans and, and the people who bang the scenes at the club. It's a brilliant club. But, you know, players always... The, you know, a bit reluctant to maybe go to a club that are a little bit yo-yo because they want to have a bit longevity there. Yeah. And, you know, some of the recruitment over the last previous couple of times has been a bit questionable as well. You know, one, have the players performed to the level that was probably required, which the results probably say no. And have they been a bit quick to jump ship once the club's um, mm. unfortunately been relegated and you don't want those type of characters at your club in any way. So I think this this summer has been completely different, and uh, I like I like the the way the manager's got them playing. And uh, as I said, even when I've watched I've watched games when they've won and, and been delayed, but even when I've watched them and they've, they've lost games, I think they they've always been in the games and they've, they've produced good good strong performances. So I'm I'm confident that where they are now can even be improved on. But we'll we'll settle for them finishing ninth this season. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to be too greedy, and then uh, hopefully they can just con- continue that upward curve and keep progressing. Because as I said, it's it's a club very very close to my heart. You know, forgetting that they're playing black and white also. <laughs> uh, you know, they're a brilliant time in my life, and uh, I want to see them being the the best version of the of Fulham they can be. And obviously, we we will take seventeenth at this moment in time. We just want to stay up this season. Um, but one question I want to ask you from just off the, the cuff. Um, in regards to the last two times you've been up, we have had a lot of low knees coming. Um, and this time around, it is a bit different. And you did mention that players do tend to, the players have tended to give it up towards the end when it looks like we're relegated or we are relegated. Is there, can there sometimes be a mentality issue with low knees coming in for a season that when things aren't going so well, they do tend to not try, not switch off, but the commitment to the cause just isn't as there compared to some players that do have contracts for two, three years with the club. Well, I can talk about this from personal 
experience from my time, certainly at, at Birmingham, where finances, I couldn't go and buy a player. But obviously, we had certain transfer embargoes, so I had to use the loan market massively. And I had players who bought into it and, tre- and believed in themselves as Birmingham City players when they arrived and behaved like Birmingham City players, and we had success with that. But then I had other players who would arrive and just... They used they had the mentality they were they were just there to help us and they were gonna go back to their parent club. So they didn't behave as a Birmingham City player, if you, you get what I mean, and that mm. they work out since it wasn't surprising by that. I'm a big advocate and a big believer that Premier League clubs shouldn't be able to loan players. The finances these Premier League clubs have and how they can go about their business, they they they, they shouldn't have to loan. There might be a difference if if a you know, to loan 21 and down players from another Premier League club. But when you're loaning senior players from other clubs and stuff like that, I'm not a big advocate. I would prefer it to be, honestly, across the board, a Premier League club wasn't allowed to loan. Mm. Um, they have players in. Um, you know, what's the difference with bringing a player in on loan for a season? Maybe you say he's realised, oh, this isn't going to be the season I want. We could be going down. He doesn't fight till the end. Why not go and get a, an up-and-coming young player from the Championship or League One who, who's going to fight till the end and you give him three, four-year contract to try and improve him and develop him? Surely they're the type of moves that they... Because it's not down to finance. You know, the, the, the Premier League club's earning that much money now. Um, and, I, and obviously at any level, you know, if you're you've you've got to get the right mentality um, in terms of the loan players. If they come with a mentality of "I'm just here because it's it's a good move for myself," and they don't buy into being a Fulham football club player and they don't behave like that, you've got a problem because they're just there for themselves and they're not there to to, to basically in, in football terms or in sporting terms die for the cause. You know, which is basically meaning you give absolutely everything in every game, no matter what the situation is. And uh, yeah, so that's why I, I, I like the way the recruitment process this summer has been different over the last and then the last two. Yeah. Look, Lee, I've taken enough of your time as it is, and I can't thank you enough for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to someone I grew up admiring, giving me many happy days down the cottage and away from the cottage, um, following you away from home as well. Um, I can't wait to see your son in a Fulham shirt, whether that's next season or the season after, but <laughs> we can keep our fingers crossed. Um, but thank you very much and good luck in no, the rest of the season. You. Thank you for having us on and, you know, my bum into you because I love coming back to the cottage to watch the games and uh, hmm. seeing the faces and uh, being around the, the, the fantastic supporters who supported my family brilliantly. So thanks for having me on and, and good luck for the rest of the season. Thanks, Lee.